This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. Tansri Azambaki's name is once again in the limelight. It was reported on the 10th of May that the term of the current chief of the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission has been extended for another year. Azambaki's term was due to end on the 12th of May. Now, given the controversies that have been surrounding Azambaki over the past year, his reappointment certainly caused many to raise an eyebrow. So where do we go from here? Joining me on the show to discuss this is Pushpan Murugaya. He's the acting CEO of the Centre to Combat Corruption. Corruption and Cronyism C4. Welcome to the show, Pushpan. How are you? Hi, Rajan. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on board. Let's start with some overall thoughts. What are your overall thoughts on Azambaki's reappointment by this unity coalition government? Wow. Um, seriously, I think uh, more importantly, we are very disappointed, extremely disappointed, um, because looking at the, the, what has happened, even you know, PH themselves have actually raised this chair issues in Parliament after the expose by Edith Siasan and also Whistleblower. And in fact, the the the, the government, PH government has actually accused Adam Baki of, you know, uh, not being independent, is being biased, going after the opposition at that time. And yet, today, it's shocking in the sense that they actually extended his, uh, his tenure after all that acquisition, all that, you know, that the rhetoric and he's been extended. So I think Boris is quite um, um, disappointed. But I think more importantly, we need to, to get, gather why did the PM actually you know, extend. We need explanations. You know? There has to be some sense of transparency. Why? Why did actually the Prime Minister you know, was agreeable to extend his, his, his tenure? And I think he did kind of try to explain it by saying, that, look, I'm satisfied with the job that he's given. But do we really want to go down this road? You know, what happened to all the previous uh, acquisitions? More importantly, I think people need to understand it. Doesn't matter if the PM is satisfied, that he's doing a good job. So, what is the criteria? So, if we say that oh, he's going after all the opposition leaders, is that the condition? Is that the framework that he's basing his decision on? You know, we, we don't know what is framework. So, I think it's dangerous to allow that kind of. Uh, thought process in play. It should be an independent body looking at the KPIs, looking at what is done, going through a bipartisan uh, parliament process where they assess whether the, 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 the MACC chief actually did a good job. It shouldn't be the prime minister coming out and saying, okay, we're extending him because he did a good job. On what criteria? You know, we really don't know. And I think to a large extent, my thought is that this actually has an effect on his reform agenda and also his anti-corruption rhetoric, because people will start to question, you know, where, where is it true? You know, is it pushing for reform or is it just words that he's trying to make out there to get the rhetoric out there or the narrative out there? That's my overall immediate thought of what's happening now. Right. So now you brought up a lot of interesting points. So let's go through them a bit by bit. Um, you, meant, you mentioned like the accusations that have been hurled um, at Azambaki over the past one or two years. What are some of the controversies that Azambaki has been embroiled in? Okay. I think, um, let, let me just put it in context some of the controversies mm-hmm. first before we try and look at the controversies. We need to understand uh, the, the perception in the context of fighting corruption is a very critical issue. In fact, the CPI ranking is also based on perceptions. Now, when perception clouds any issue, we have big problems. So, for example, when the head of MACC has unresolved shared issues, 
it dilutes the confidence that public have on the commission. So the question becomes, how do we trust where the head himself doesn't appear to be clean? So that, that, that leads to a massive trust deficit that can actually cripple the function of an institution. So in this context, some of this controversy, I think the, the two million share issue is a big issue. I think we're all aware of that, that, that share issue that I think for personal issue have been removed uh, when that issue has brought up. And furthermore, look at his defense. He's saying that you know, his, that is his brother using his name for share purchases. I mean, that is a very dangerous precedent. You know, what if a politician come out and claim there's some illicit money coming to his account and, oh, it's not mine, it belongs to somebody else. So where do we stop? How do we uh, apply the laws evenly in that context, you see? So secondly, he actually sued the whistleblower for defamation. Now, he is the head of MACC. One of the things that he needs to encourage is to encourage more whistleblowers to come out there and expose corruption, grand corruption, right? It's a matter of the principle of it. Now, he as a head is not following what he's supposed to push or advising. He himself is taking detriment, I mean, uh, detrimental action against the whistleblower. So where is the spirit? Where is the, the, the principle behind what he's trying to push for? There's a massive contradiction in that context. Some more. I think the other issues that we need to keep in contact is he, as the head of MCC, downplayed the ranking of uh, our, our, our rank in the, the, the PI's perception next in 2022. Now, you are the head of MCC. If there is such a ranking problem, you should grab it by the hand and say, let's reform, let's do work, let's, what can, else can we do? How can we improve, find solutions, give proposals? But instead of doing that, he blames it that say that we need it downplays the whole report, saying that things like human rights and business ethics are being unrelated to corruption. In fact, they are related. Corruption is a human rights issue as well. You know, so these are the kind of things that I, I feel that he he has failed as the leader of an anti-corruption agency to address. And also look at look at the previous administration of uh, against uh, Muringa Sin, when he was openly dishing out. Uh, cabinet positions, GLCs to MPs. There is something wrong there. Even if there's insufficient law to look at it, you should come up with ideas that this is something that's wrong. We need to look at these problems as a whole in terms of fighting corruption. But nothing was done. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, earlier you also brought up the point about how if we just rewind the clock a little bit, um, you can find videos of, um, you know, opposition people, Harapan, uh, uh, you know, MPs in particular, um, you know, basically ac accusing, um, um, you know, Azambaki of these various controversies that you talked about. They brought it up um, in parliament. They asked that he should be investigated, should be resigned. In fact, there was even a, a public protest um, calling yeah. for Azambaki to resign in which... Um, Pakatan Harapan members were there. If we go and look at the protest photos, you will see flags from Pakatan Harapan at the protest it's, uh, as well. So what does this say now? What does this signal now that the government, which comprise of Pakatan Harapan, whose prime minister is the chief of Pakatan Harapan, they have reappointed Azambaki? Yeah, I think that, that that's the first part I mentioned earlier. I think mm -hmm. we are extremely disappointed and to a large extent uh, shocked. Because as I mentioned, they were the one who keep harping on the issue that he's biased, he's not independent, you know. And then the fact that uh, they have come up with a, a, a 
protests, calling, going to parliament, and even raising up in parliament as well. So all this gives the impression that they they know that something is wrong with the whole process and the independence of MSCC. Now, when you come into power, now you have a position to change it. But instead of actually changing the or reforming what you, you said you want to do or you're fighting for, you actually reinforce the same process. So this 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 boils down to a larger discussion because let's just divert a little bit. Now we're looking at reforms on GLCs, and for example, for example, every government that come into place say that oh we need to reform GLCs. It's giving too much power to the politicians and to the political parties. Made came in the last session saying that oh this is uh, basically a group of monsters that we need to reform. Now, when they come into power, what happens? They don't change. So I think in this context, it's a, a similar trend that we can appear is appearing now, where whatever they have said as opposition, when they come into power, it looks like there is no political will to actually change what they are asking for. So I think this is an important discussion you raise up because we need to tell people, look, we need to hold political parties accountable. If they say they want to do a reform, and they come into parliament. They need we need to ensure they follow through with those reforms. You know, we cannot allow them to continuously government after government after government say they will reform. Then they come into position power, they delay, they stall. They, 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 there's no will to move forward, and we have the same problem for the last 10, 15 years over and over again. I think the point we need to put across is yes, we need to ensure that we put our parliamentarians on the notice that you are supposed to reform this. Please get it done. No more delays. Should the government have allowed Azambaki's contract to expire? No, I think this is a straightforward question mm-hmm. because um, we were among the few that actually, uh, there were quite a number of uh, as well that actually said that, no, we want him to be removed after the whole issue or at least put put on, on, on hold until, you know, we investigate properly. Um, the issue is that one is putting him on hold or not allowing him to to continue with his contract. But I think the other process you need to also consider very, very important is how do we reappoint another person? So even if we let him expire, maybe you use the same process to appoint somebody in there. It's just a namesake change, you know? It can be another person who is beholden again to the government, so you have the same problem again. So I think one is you need to make sure that uh, he's moved. And second thing is the process has to be a transparent process and it has to be open, and we suggest a lot of things, for example, putting it through parliament, uh, getting a list of uh, good candidates, you know, have to vet through properly, let, let bipartisan committees come and decide. So those are the more bigger reforms we need to look at in terms of getting the correct person in place, apart from the issue of whether you should aspire or not. How do you think Azambaki's appointment has impacted public perception towards the government's reform agenda? Okay. This is, this is a very interesting question. Um, we, the, the context of question has to be looked at a lot in the, in, in the eyes of perception. Okay, So as I mentioned earlier, the issue of perception is a powerful enabler and disabler when it comes to corruption, not looking at corruption. Now, with his appointment, um, actually comes a lot of negative perceptions. And I think we've all been hearing this in the market or we're hearing in the news, news lately or so in the sense that that narrative is the selection, the selective prosecution of opposition. So now the narrative in, 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 in the newspapers, in, in the TikTok, social media is that, look, there is selective prosecution. 
they are choosing opposition leaders to go after, to tarnish their image, um, to, 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 to show that they're also corrupt, you know. And these are all done ahead of the state elections. So even the issue of um, corruption itself is being politicized by both parties. So again, this is where the perception becomes a powerful enabler or disabler for either side. So again, so if if we if we look at it in that context, the public perception is definitely affected uh, on the reform agenda. Because even though there are cases where genuine cases of corruption or actual cases of corruption and it's now masked under political persecution. So the whole the whole idea now has delegitimized real cases. So even if you're actually involved in corruption, you've been camouflaged by the idea that it's possible political prosecution. So then it defeats the whole reform agenda. The perception changes now. So the, the, the war against corruption now is becoming a political tool instead of war against corruption. Right. So that perception has changed. It, it, that, that will actually effect, effect his um, reform agenda. And also, I mean, to be fair to Anwar, I mean, he did mention that in parliament he's open to uh, reforming the manner in which the chief commissioner is appointed. He did mention that. Um, and also noting that the government is only in place for six, seven months. So, but I, I personally think that that should have been a priority in the first place. You know why? Because he knew Azam Baki's tenure is coming to an end. He's going to have this problem. He should have been his first priority to look at how to either remove uh, Azam and find a transparent way to appoint somebody in the meantime. You know, that would have solved his problem where now there's negative narrative coming out that you're having uh, selective prosecution or opposition. So on that context, he definitely affected his, uh, his reform agenda. The perception now, I think, is mixed down the line. It's now it's, it's, it's looking towards a political uh, perception. Once I say it's, it's right, once I say it's, it's not because of that no perception. Let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Pushpan Murugaya. He's the acting CEO of the Centre to Combat Corruption and Cronyism C4. After the break, I ask him how to strengthen MACC moving forward. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Pushpan Murugaya, Acting CEO of the Centre to Combat Corruption and Cronyism C4 and we're discussing Azam Baki's reappointment. So Pushpan, um, how would you respond to people who has uh, who has said that you know, look look at the if you follow the the sequence of events, you know Azambaki has been cleared by the Securities Commission. Um, after all, in in twenty twenty two, the Securities Commission said that it has not been able to establish that there was a breach of regulation with relation to the trading account of Azambaki. So with all of that in mind, um. How would you respond to people who say, you see, the, the Security Commission's already cleared him, so what's wrong with him continuing? Okay, I think um, we need to actually break down what actually happened hmm. uh, with SC itself. In fact, the answers by SC's or the chronological event to SC's uh, answer is quite damning. Now, firstly, they said, oh, they will investigate. Then they said they're unsure if the offense, any offense has taken place. Then I think after public pressure, I think maybe protests and, and stuff like that, they came out and said there's no issue. So on that chronological event, does it give us confidence? So the question arises, was there a political influence or interference in the entire episode? 
instead of giving us clarity, actually he created us more doubt. And the, in fact, the questions were never satisfactorily answered. In a, I think uh, even a group of CSOs did request, including us, for SE to publicly release their findings and the evidence underlining their decision because there, have, there appears to be contradiction in the way they answer. Okay, they need to clarify and properly explain the shared transaction. Statement issued by SE where the regulatory body stated the share string account was managed by Azam himself, which contradicts Azam's previous statement on his own, saying that the account was used by his brother to avoid conflict interest. So, which is true. You have the person saying something else and you are coming else to a different conclusion. Now, even that said, if let's say that, uh, SE statement is true. At that point in time, there is a circular under the public officials and section 10 of the regulation, right? The court or the discipline in their own conduct. Anybody is not supposed to have shares in the birth of 100,000 amount. So even on that issue, there was no proper explanation what was the next step and there was no so opaque, nothing has been said. Now, for me, or Particularly more worrying was that his refusal to attend a request by a parliamentary select committee for questioning on the pretext that he's having a defamation suitcase, you no know, subjudice uh, argument. So now imagine this: select committees are integral part of our parliamentary check and balance mechanism. If one can ignore them, so how does it reflect on our parliament, our government machinery? our democratic principles, our check and balances. And bear in mind, he is the head of MACC. He should be an example for everybody to follow. Yes, these are the policies, these are principles, these are basically the, the rules I follow. I have to follow the same rules. But he blatantly said, no, I'm not coming because this is, again, no confidence. How does how does the leader portray himself is also important. The perception is there. He gives a very wrong perception of our leadership. Pushpan, how... Yeah. Sorry. Pushpan, how would you then respond to people who say, you know, you need to look at political realities and it's, you know, more important to focus on big fish rather than small fries. And, you know, some people, I've seen this on social media where they have said that, you know, Azambaki is a small fry, there are more important fish to catch. Um, you know, especially the, the argument is always brought up because we have a coalition government with many political parties. Um, you have AMNO, GPS, so on and so forth. It's not just a Pakatan Harapan vehicle. Um, how would you sort of refute these arguments? I think, um, let's ask this question first. Are we really going after big fishes? So, okay, let's see who are the big fishes. We have, the, for example, Najib's case. Okay, that's definitely a big fish. Then we have Tengku Adnan's case, which I settled already. Zahid's case. Now we have Mohidin's case, and also one Saiful and Shai Siddiq, and then a few more names have been popping up. Now, but what I see in the headlines is an increase of arrest of small cases. So what, what I think is big or small, petty or grand, if there is evidence for corruption, it is the duty of MSCC to act without fear or favor. It's a matter of principle. And we cannot compromise on these principles. Once we start compromising and choosing which one we can prosecute, which one we cannot prosecute, that's where things become 
uh, clouded. We wouldn't know where the threshold, what to do, what not to do. See, we should have a matter of principle. If a person has committed a crime, irrelevant of, uh, of hierarchy, uh, the position, status, they have to go after them. Now, but what I am more worried about is in terms of this context is that without adequate reforms, especially on political donations, most so-called big fish or political big fish will escape laws because bribes will now be claimed as political donation, which is happening now. So at the end of the day, it's the small guys that get caught, the guys who have been forced to maybe perhaps um, uh, in a position to actually gain some money, small money here and there, they are getting caught. But the big guys who are playing with you know, millions and millions of taxpayers' money, uh, they are getting off the hook due to insufficient or inadequate law that we need to reform very, very urgently. So I think that in that context, we need to see what we can do to actually uh, reform the laws to capture all the big ones. And if no, it's not going to be, it's going to be the same process all over again. The small guys get tried, the more and more small people getting arrested, put in jail, just to get the number of quantity of arrest up, but not the proper real big guys that doing grand corruption and stuff like that. Absolutely. So, I want to dive um, into these various reforms that we need to do, especially with regard to MACC, how we can restructure it. But before that, let's very quickly just touch on the short term. Um, in the short term, until those reforms, the reforms that you are pushing for, that C4, other um, you know, uh, anti-corruption watchdogs are pushing for, um, before we reach to that point where, uh, you know, where these reforms are implemented, what do we do in the short term, um, especially with regard to Azambaki? Um, should he s resign? Um, because previously that was a call for him to resign. Um, well, what do you think we should do in the short term? Okay, you're looking at um, uh, uh, reforming the, the MACC in the short term. I think the easiest, easiest way or the most simplest way basically is to actually amend the uh, MACC Act to put um, uh, MACC under Parliament's review. Right. So, so and uh, in that context, we also need to ensure that the, the, the appointment process um, that we're looking at in terms of, for example, Azam Baki's position has to go through via a parliamentary process. So I think the short-term gain or short-term uh, objective for all of us uh, in terms of fighting corruption is to put MACC under the preview of parliament. But before we get to that, right, um, because if you want to make amendments, it's going to take a few parliamentary sittings and, and things like that. Azam Baki has been reappointed. The C4 pushing for Azam Baki to step down or do we just keep him um, and then just focus on the reforms that you're about to talk about? No, I think um, we have always been uh, consistent in our stand. Uh, we think Azam Baki should go. Hmm. He should resign. He should not be standing. He should not be in that position now. Now, a simple reason is because, um, again, I come back to the issue of in fighting corruption, perception is critical. So, as the head of MECC, he needs to be squeaky clean. He, there cannot be any form of allegations of impropriety or illegality. Now, when that is an uh, element that tarnishes his position, it actually reflects back on the entire organization. So, the credibility will be affected because of him on the MSCC's entire structure. So, keeping him in office, people will have less confidence. People will, will, will have less confidence coming out as whistleblowers to go and whistleblow on grand corruption when he knows the head himself is not clean or there's possibility of being influenced by somebody else, especially if there's political cases. 
So on that context, I definitely think that we have always stood that Hassan Baki should resign. He should not be in a position now. We need to find somebody in the transparent process to replace him. That's our stand. Right. Okay, so now let's talk about reforming MACC. What are some of the problems with how MACC is structured right now? Uh, the biggest issue I think everybody agrees on is the independence of MACC. Mm-hmm. I think we, what we have across our institutional uh, body is, I think, the issue of independence. So for MACC, independence is really important because we do not want the hands or you know, the interference of executives or for those in political power. So our biggest structure defect we felt is that uh, the independence itself is uh, not there, it's lacking. Um, secondly, the, the appointment process, uh, it's, it's, it's always under the control of the executive. So you will always definitely appoint people that you are comfortable or you have allegiance with. And also, I think the other aspect some people don't, 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 don't often look at is the MACC itself as an entity. I think we should actually separate MACC staffing from the Public Service Department. So this is uh, includes hiring, firing, so it should be everything managed by MACC himself, not managed by an external party. And the other aspect I think is also very, very important is that we need to have a special budget approved in Parliament specifically for MACC. So when, when that is done, so they are able to manage their own budget without any interference, without any disturbance in terms of uh, pay rise, uh, staff allocation, and stuff like that. And also it will help on the other aspect. Um, there are some areas that MACC lacks capacity or technical knowledge. So by having their own budget, they're able to actually uh, hire external experts or private sector who can contribute in terms of giving them technical expertise, especially when it comes to investigating complex corruptions, which are actually laid on top of government policies. So again, you need very sophisticated uh, accounting forensic mindset to unravel corruption that's hidden between policies. So that is where technical knowledge is necessary. Right. So to press that even further, um, you talk about how, you know, currently, um, MACC is, in a way, under the executive. Um, you know, the the chief of MACC is, um, you know, un- appointed by the YDPA under the the advice of the prime minister, which, in you know, layman's terms, means the prime minister essentially gets to pick the chief of the MACC. Um, what? How can we reform it so that MACC is answerable to us, the people, the rakyat, and not? the government of the day? What would a truly independent anti-corruption agency look like? So I think, let me just break it down the first part. I think mm-hmm. the easiest way to put it uh, so they're answerable to us is park them under parliament. Right. Parliament is a chamber that represents the public. It represents us in, 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 you know, in, in parliament. So that is the people's chamber. So park them under the people's chamber, which is parliament. Second thing, we need to ensure that they submit final reports, provide justifications to bipartisan committee on why cases were uh, prosecuted, why cases were not uh, investigated. So this allows them and makes them accountable for every action they take and the people can hear. So when people see something is not right, then the people can react. They can do things as people's power to react. No, certain things are unfair. So I think that is important. Now, talking about how uh, truly independent anti-corruption agency would look like, very simple. 
Now we are hearing the cases of, uh, of a former minister who is exposed in the Pandora Papers, he's been investigated. So the question is, why now? So if a truly independent commission is in place, they would have investigated the Pandora Papers immediately without any uh, delay whatsoever. Second thing, why is it that when only there's a change of government, there appears to be MACC reaction to go after previous administration? So if they are really independent, when things are happening even during the current administration, they should go after. Why wait until change of government? So a truly independent uh, MACC will have done all that work. Now, I personally felt that MACC had the opportunity or has the opportunity to be the champion of the people. Corruption is the biggest problem we have in the nation, and they are the lead agency to fight. So they had the opportunity to become champion of the people. If there's such willingness for them to lead MACC in the direction, you know, to actually fight corruption without fear and favor, I believe people uh, will definitely stand by MACC and even Azambaki if he's doing his work properly. You know, but again, sadly, we have all these institutions in place. We don't use it to what true capacity can be. All right, Pushpan, before we wrap this conversation up, would you have some final thoughts or a final message for us? Um, I, I, but we all know that corruption is an endemic issue in Malaysia. You know, our hard-earned money is wasted on shoddy uh, government work, uh, projects, pockets into privileged parties, ends up in the political party's bank accounts where money is used to alter votes through money politics. When in fact this money can be used to build more schools, more equipment, where an uncle don't have to wait for weeks to get a testing done, you know, <laughs> pay doctors, get right. doctors on board, you know, more schools, better social services. We all know corruption has a direct impact on our life. Okay? So I would urge everyone to go out there, put your foot down and say, you cannot accept this anymore. Pressure your MPs, your adults, to legislate and support legislation that, that actually help fight corruption. And also, last thought is, we need to um, look at uh, NGOs like SC4 as well to support in the work that we do. You know? We are working very hard to create public awareness on the different, different sophisticated corruption that people are coming up with. And we're trying to keep up with the trend. So we need, of course, your support to help us expose corruption, expose this kind of new forms of corruption where we can bring people of power to account. On that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Pushpan. Thank you for having me. That was Pushpan Murugeya. He's the acting CEO of the Centre to Combat Corruption and Cronyism, C4. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.